Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, Grove.Church. And as you're reading along, just two quick reminders for you. One is this is a month-over-month reading plan, so you're going to want to choose the month of January if you're going to try and finish up this month with us. February, well, there will be a new reading plan to subscribe to, so we'll make sure you're aware of that as well. Uh, And the second thing is, as questions come up, if there's questions that you have that uh, you would love for us to take time to discuss and process uh, and answer on the show, we would love for you to send in those questions. There's two ways that you can send us those questions. The first uh, is via email at info at grove.church is the email address. Make sure to put in the subject line a Let's Read the Bible podcast question, uh, or you can just say a question for Evan and Aaron. Uh, we get those questions, we'll answer them there. Or you can direct message us on the Facebook. We are the Facebook. Uh, we are the Grove Church, not the Facebook. We are the Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. Uh, uh, and we'd love for you to give us, uh, direct message us your questions there. So, Listeners, you may not know this, but... We are the Facebook. We own it. Yes, sir. We are not just really. Just kidding, Mark. Please don't swimming cancel in the our account. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, as far as resources that we're using today, uh, we're, it's pretty much just the Bible. So what? I think- Why I would we do that? We're just kind of recapping. Uh, both of these passages are pretty, they're pretty easily read, pretty easily studied. So, uh, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of truth in there because yeah. there is, and it's going to be great. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about Acts. We're wrapping up Acts this week. So as we're reading, I don't remember exactly what day of the week it is, but we're wrapping up Acts, and then we're getting close to wrapping up Genesis. Not quite, but we're... Yeah, we're, I think we have about one more week, I think is what we have in Genesis. Yep, and then we have a few Psalms we'll talk about. Well, let's start with Acts. Uh, this section of Acts actually covers Paul's final journey toward Rome, where he would spend the rest of his life, and it's a pretty fitting end to the book, all things yeah. considered. Um, I, I don't... <laughs> Because here's the thing, right? The whole book is kind of leading up to this moment, which is interesting. But when you when you look at it here, like if we had to nail down what is the book of Acts about? Well, it's about the birth of the early church, and it's really about the spread of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus saying, you know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will uh, be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's kind of what Acts is showing. Is yeah. you know, Pentecost happens. We're seeing Jerusalem, and then it starts to spread and spread. And then really, I would say led by Paul, it starts to spread into the Gentile world. And again, Gentile just means non-Jew, so outside of Israel. And so at the time that this is being written, Rome is the greatest power, for sure the greatest Western power. I mean, China was pretty powerful in the East, but that's not really factoring into the biblical story too much. Um, And so it is very fitting that Paul's march to see the gospel spread everywhere that it can go is going straight. It's going straight to the big man. It's going straight to Caesar. Yeah, so, but we won't, true. we won't spoil it. Um, but yeah, the book is showing how in spite of persecution, the Holy Spirit can't be stopped. And I think these last few chapters of Acts are a microcosm of that, where in spite of the persecution that Paul is experiencing, the Holy Spirit will not be stopped. The gospel is going to spread. Yeah. So in in chapter 21, Paul travels to Jerusalem where he meets with James. Uh, And this is James, Jesus' brother, not James, John's brother, because he had had already been killed at this point. So he meets with James, Jesus' brother, who is kind of the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And it's it's a really cool passage because it it gives this picture of Paul coming before the elders of the church and kind of giving a report. Like, here's what happened on my missionary journeys. Here's what God has done. And it says that they praised God for it. So this isn't a situation where they're like, oh my gosh. Like, no, they're very excited about Paul's ministry to the ends of the earth with the gospel, which is an important thing because there is this tension, and we read about it all throughout the New Testament, between um, the Jews who had been serving God all their lives and for generations. And these kind of, I mean, for lack of a better word, newcomers, I guess, is a way you could say it. But here we don't see a hint of that. There is this, well, we will in a little bit. But as far as like the church elders go, at least, um, they are rejoicing and praising God for Paul's ministry in those far off places. But James does suggest that Paul should go and offer sacrifices in the temple to show that he does not teach that the Jews should forsake their customs. So one of the big criticisms of Paul, or I guess you could even say one of the big lies that's being spread about Paul, is he's telling, he's going around telling uh, all of the Jews, like, hey, you know, Judaism doesn't really matter. Who cares about the Old Testament? Let's just launch into this new thing. And you don't need to do, uh, you know, don't, don't worry about any of the holidays or the festivals and stuff like that. Like, no, Paul is saying like, hey, if you're Jewish, 
Keep going with that. That's great. But here's the Messiah. We've met him now. And if you're Gentiles, you're not bound to the same things. Um, So Paul does this, but he's arrested. So people stir up trouble. We'll hear about them in a little bit, Uh, but they don't like Paul. They stir up trouble. He gets arrested and he, but yeah, right before he does, or I guess I shouldn't say right before, as he's being arrested, Paul asks to speak to the crowd. And then this is what happens. He, He tells them, really his whole conversion story. And if you're reading mm-hmm. through the end of Acts, it's going to feel like you're reading the same thing a few different it's times true. because Very true. he tells he tells his conversion story. Is it three times throughout? I, don't, I, yeah, I think it's three times in Acts. One, we actually see that for the first time and then mm-hmm. two other times he, I think he reiterates it. Yeah. So Paul, Paul is not messing around here. He goes through his whole conversion story and then he says this, and this is where, you know, it starts to not go so well. So this is in chapter 22, verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, and this is he saying, Jesus saying this to him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. So this is going, now that we're narrating, this is the crowd. They had been, they had been with Paul up until this. And then when he says, go, I will send you to the Gentiles. Then the crowd raises their voice and they say, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought to the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging, which is not as pleasant as it sounds. That means they're going <laughs> to yeah, they're gonna beat him and interrogate yeah, him with the stick uh, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I brought, I bought this citizenship for a, a large sum, Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So essentially, Paul starts to he Paul's really smart. <laughs> he knows full well that like it's illegal for them to do this if he's a Roman citizen. He has extra rights um, that the other citizens of Judea did not have, and so he's. And we'll see as it goes on, he's going to exercise those rights. Um, but the crowd is. The crowd is not happy about yeah. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And it's this really sad tension um, that really plagues the early church where there's some people who just can't, they can't accept the fact that the gospel is for everyone. They can't get behind the idea that the rest of the world deserves to know Jesus. And this is no longer just about Israel. Um, and on the one hand, I think, it's absolutely terrible. And I, I shouldn't say on the one hand, it is absolutely terrible. Um, but another thing to keep in mind is that this is a really difficult pitch if you've been, because this isn't like, um, to put it into context, like my my grandfather moved from Missouri to Washington in the 1940s. So I my history with this land that we live in goes back um, 80 years, which is, you know, that's longer than I've been alive, but it's not like this incredibly long amount of time. If you want to go even further, like my family, the, the Westervelts, they came over to the, to the, uh, continental United States from Europe in, I believe it was the 1750s. So if you want to go that way, then like my family, um, ties to the, the nation that I live in goes back, you know, a little over 300 years. Um, no, under 300 years. That's weird to think about. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, I'm just impressed that you know back to the 1750s. Yeah, well, there's a fun fact, listener. Look up the Westerfield family massacre. So that's because oh, I, I was looking I was looking up, just curious about like the history, and that was the first thing that popped up. And then I was like, oh, that actually is like in my direct family line. So there you go. There's uh, a bunch of you know way a bunch of my ancestors were killed a while ago. So fun fact. Anyway, but that's not why you're listening. That's sad. Um, 
So that's what I'm saying. Like it feel like the family ties that I feel to the place that I live are actually pretty intense. Um, that's nothing compared to what a first century Jew would feel about their yeah, faith true. and the land that they live in, which has been occupied since the time of Moses or J- Joshua, I guess, to be more accurate. So um, having their whole faith shift like this is a really big ask. And so while it's wrong, it's wrong that they are so resistant to the Gentiles. I, I also think it's understandable if that makes sense. So. Yeah. And I think, man, it's, it's, I mean, you've got someone like Paul who was also, who saw prior to this, right. He was living, you know, was living with them in sync with them and step with them and, and all about, he was zealous for, for the history, the lineage, the, the truth of scripture as they understood it. Um, and, and then he, he came face to face with with the gospel with Christ, and he he did the full one eighty that the repentance right. the lifestyle of repentance and and it's one thing to have this incredible experience which is why I think it's so powerful and I I do think I actually misspoke I think it's only twice in Acts and then he brings it up again one of in the, one of his letters letters later his conversion story I I, I think but okay. anyways all I say I know there's three times in the New Testament we see it so. Um, but it's 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 interesting to just see the dynamics play out where you can sense Paul's passion throughout his writing and throughout his life. You can sense his desire that people would come and know the, the truth of Jesus and who he was, what he came to do. Uh, but then you also have this entire, not just history and lineage and this this ancestral roots of what they knew for the Jewish people. And then Jesus comes in and, and flips it on its head, not not intentionally, because that was God's plan all along. So it's not like it was, this was the one track, and then Jesus came in and jumped it to another track. It was one track all the way throughout the entirety of Scripture and humanity was this redemptive narrative, but it drifted along the way to become this own system and regulations and faith system um, based upon it. So there is this crazy, like heartbreaking moment where as he's sharing his story, they say, nope, do away, we're done, get out of here, we mm-hmm. don't want you. Um, and and it's, it is, it's 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 kind of heartbreaking and devastating and all, all at the same time. But, and it's gonna get, yeah, we're gonna keep seeing exactly what's gonna happen with, with Paul going through it. And these last few chapters of Acts are really gonna be Paul appearing before different people and kind of sharing and defending himself and sharing the gospel. So next up, he is brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the council of priests. Yeah. And so, and this, I, I don't know. The Jewish council of priests. Yep. This is one of those things I've never picked up on all the times I've read through Acts. So it's kind of, it's always fun when you're studying and all of a sudden you realize like, oh, this happened. Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually disagree. <laughs> and it's funny because we, we've talked a few weeks ago about how we always think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees as agreeing, but we yeah, have, right. I, and I was reminding like, Hey, remember, like these are very politically different people. Um, the fact that they agree on what needs to be done about Jesus is actually pretty incredible. Well, here we see them disagreeing about what to do with yep. Paul. And so, so funny. the Pharisees are like, you know, cause Paul's talking about the resurrection and everything. And the Pharisees are like, Hey, you know, this sounds, this sounds pretty good. Um, it's also interesting to, to see that as time is going on, some of the Pharisees are starting to break away a little bit. You're seeing, and and I think it has also helped that Paul was not just a Pharisee as he describes himself. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was very well-respected. He was very zealous. Um, and so seeing someone like Paul come to faith in Christ, I think had to have had an impact with the other Pharisees that he knew. Um, but the Sadducees, they are still like, no, there's no resurrection. This guy's a heretic, get him out of here. And so they send him uh, to basically before Felix, the governor. And so a plot is discovered to kill Paul. He's shipped off. He's going to go stand with Felix. He defends himself um, as believing the whole of scripture. So his whole thing is like, hey, I'm not rejecting the law and the prophets. I'm saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, which is another argument that he makes throughout his letters. Um, By chapter 25, two years have passed. So Felix hears this, he puts him in prison and he keeps him there for two years. So it's it's only a sentence in the book of Acts, so you can miss it really quickly. But this is actually this is a long time that this is happening. Um, after that, Felix is succeeded by Festus, and Festus offers to try Paul uh, in Jerusalem. But it's kind of it's kind of a trap. He kind of wants to do the Sadducees a favor and just 
you know, condemn Paul. And so Paul says, no, I want to be tried before Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. Yeah. So that's the second time we see Paul flexing his, uh, Paul knows his rights and he's going to, he's going to make sure that he gets to preach the gospel as many times as he possibly can. And for as long as he possibly can before. Well, it makes me wonder uh, when I know he's, he's leveraging the system as a Roman citizen and like, there's gotta be an ulterior motive, right? There's the agenda or the heart of like, man, I want to go to Rome anyways. Yeah. Um, so it's almost you, you. It makes me wonder whether that was kind of the the motive. Like, no, no, I want to go to Caesar. I think at this point in Paul's life, and I shouldn't say at this point because for most of Paul's life, but I think it's, it's it's accentuated right now. I think Paul is obsessed with getting the gospel out there to as many people as he possibly can. Um, but it's funny because we were reading through Philippians in our in our young adults group. And it struck me how in Philippians chapter one, he talks about the two things he said that I said, I said were actually really convicting is he talks about how, um, yes, I've been in prison, um, but let me tell you, church at Philippi, this has been great for the spread of the gospel. Every single guard knows why I'm here. And then some of them are even starting to be like, it's like, like, <laughs> like Paul's in some of the darkest moments of his life. And he's using that as an opportunity to like, like yeah. all of the guards who are coming to him say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And then he talks about how, um, reports have been making it to him of his rivals and people who um, don't have great motivations that are now kind of taking his places. And he says, look, if they're preaching the gospel, great. That's all That's all I need. So you kind of see Paul, particularly as an old man, is just laser focused on, and yeah. I think he knows the end is coming. That's the whole, to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he he is going to die empty yeah. if he's going to give all that he has, which is, um, I mean, it's just incredible. Paul is a very admirable character in the Bible. Well, you see his zeal. I mean, he even said it, you saw it with the way he lived his life pre-Christ, sounds like before Christ, and then how he lived it afterwards. Like there was something about his passion and zeal for truth. And yeah, it's true. Um, I think that was, that that's the significant characteristic that, that doesn't change course at all. If anything, it becomes more magnified. So, yeah. Um, so before he leaves, because I guess we, we've been spending a lot of time in Acts, so we should, we should probably get wrapping up here. Um, before he leaves, he stands before King Agrippa and he tells the full story of his conversion again. Um, and then this happens. So this is after Paul is shared. It says, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind, which in itself is a pretty funny statement. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains, which I love is like, I think, I feel like that line is supposed to be read funny. <laughs> yeah. Like where he just like, hey, you should all be like me. And then he kind of lifts up his chains. He's like, well, maybe not this part. Uh, then the king rose. And the governor and Bernice, who is the king's wife, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And again, I think that gets back to your point where I think if, I think if someone told Paul that and we're like, dude, you could have just been free if you didn't say, I want to go before Caesar, Paul would have been like, yeah, but the, I mean, that's the point. I want to go to Caesar. So. Well, I think at this point too, like the death threats and the the um, the constant, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Attack and persecution was was still mounting, was mounting and building and, sh and, and it was ongoing. Like there was no out. So it's almost one of those yeah. things like Paul's not an idiot. He's a pretty smart, he's a, he's a very smart individual. Um, and so for him to be able to appeal to Caesar, he's under the, the guard of of the Roman Empire, in essence, to lead him to Rome to be able to go before Caesar, and so I almost wonder if there was this like it's a strategic shift of I don't know when I'll see Caesar because he understands the court systems are never like instant. Right. Um, it's years before he yeah, actually meets so he, Caesar. So it's almost as if he knew like this this could very well be course. At the same time, Paul's a very prayerful, discerning person. Like maybe it's one of those moments that we don't catch in Scripture, but it. I just think there's so many like. Kind of in hindsight, like looking after it, and I've never really thought about it this before until now, so welcome to my open processing, but how strategic and unique and incredible could it have been and could it be that God orchestrated and created this avenue 
and just said, Paul, this is what you do. Like, Paul, yep. this is the direction. Paul, this is the step. And how, I mean, we are we are beneficiaries of, of Paul's life because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did with him and, and meeting him um, so many years ago. Uh, and so I just think it's, it's, it's kind of fun to just speculate a bit and kind of think, man, this is like the safest route possible to get to Rome to be able to stand before Caesar and continue to spread the gospel throughout the modern, modern day world at that point. Well, speaking of how safe that route was, um, in chapter 27, Paul sets sail and then there's a huge storm. Yeah, right. Um, so no, so they're at Crete and Paul's like, hey, you know, the Lord told me that there's going to be a big storm. We shouldn't set sail. And they're like, okay, guy, shut up. And so they set <laughs> yeah, sail right. and the storm, I think it's raging for like 14 days. So this is a long a storm long one, yeah. and he's kind of telling him like, hey, like I told you guys. Um, but then he also tells, like, there's just. I, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on these because they're kind of some of the more famous passages and acts. I wanted to focus more on the stuff that we don't talk about as often. But these stories are incredible because it's these final batch of miracles in the ministry of Paul that are just really cool. Um, and so he tells the people on the ship, listen, no one, stop freaking out, eat because tomorrow is going to be really rough, um, but get a, get a full belly. No one's going to die. And we're all going to make it. And sure enough, the ship sinks and they all make it to shore of an island called Malta. Driftwood and yep. broken piece of the ship. Yep. So, and then when he gets to Malta, which is a small island southwest of Italy. Yeah, I think sure. so. It's by Sicily, I think. Shoot, I should have I should have pulled up a map. Anyway, if I'm wrong, dear listener, don't hold it against me. I <laughs> uh, just lost our audience. But <laughs> you don't even know where Malta is. Um, so I don't know why that's the voice I gave to an angry listener, but there you go. Um, but anyways, they wash up on Malta. They're warming up by a fire. And then it says that a snake comes and bites Paul. And Paul's like, ow. And so he kind of shakes it off and throws it into the fire. And and it says that everyone, all of the locals were waiting for him to die because they knew that it was a poisonous snake. And all of a sudden he doesn't die. They think that he's one of the gods. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Like, let's not start that train. But then he does miracles. Like he heals someone. There's all these things that are happening. Aaron pulled up a map. It is southwest of Italy and directly south of Sicily. So yay. Yay for vague recollections of where Malta Way is. Way for Evan the Encyclopedia. Woo! Um, so <laughs> anyway... Um, through all of this time, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit works miracles through Paul and many come to believe. And I also like, again, we talked about this last week a little bit, but all of this is in the first person written yeah, from Luke. Yeah. So this isn't like, and then this happened to Paul. <laughs> He's literally saying, and then there was a massive, a massive shipwreck. We all swam to shore. Um, it's, it, these, Luke is describing things that he himself has seen with his own eyes, which is really cool. So it's not even Paul that's in chains by himself, but like Luke is right there with him, whether he's in chains or not, but he's right there with yeah. him the whole time. So, and it's kind of, which is crazy because you don't ever think about that when you're reading the, reading through the book of Acts or you're reading some of Luke's, I guess Luke only wrote Luke and Acts, but you just don't, I don't ever think about that. Right. I always just say, oh, this is Paul's story, and but you just forget about the narration and the writer. Well, and I love that you see that the disciples have begun, they, they learn from their mistakes with Jesus, where Jesus has to stand alone. And when he's crucified, there's only one disciple who's there with him. Yeah, that's good. When, when Paul is on trial, he has his friends with him. And all the letters, like remember, read all the letters that Paul writes in prison. They're almost always, hey, I'm with this person, or this person came to comfort me. Hey, say thank they you. They greet to you. Right. Yeah. So it is, it is really cool that... Um, while Paul suffers like Christ suffered in the sense of he's going to die for the truth, um, he, he also gets to suffer with people, which is really great. Um, so finally, Paul arrives in Rome, and we always talk about how Acts ends kind of abruptly. And so the two theories are either that's just where Luke wanted to end it, which, I mean, it could be. I don't tend to subscribe to that. Um, I tend to say that this is probably when Luke finished writing. <laughs> like, like this is the last thing that happened. And then he wrote it and then he sent it off to Theophilus. So at this, by the time the Acts wasn't, by the time Acts was finished, Paul had not yet been executed. So I was about to say spoilers, but that's actually nowhere in the Bible. We just, we know from history that Paul was executed, but uh, we don't know it from, yeah. and we know from, I mean, if you read second Timothy, it's pretty clear that he knows he's about to be executed. But anyway, uh, the final two verses in the book of Acts, the final words that Luke writes about his friend, Paul are this. He lived there two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to uh, all who came to him, proclaiming the gospel of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Um, were the that end. were that written on my tombstone at the end of my life? That's a really powerful thing that it you you could not keep Paul 
down. He was going to spread the gospel. He was going to tell people about Jesus and he was going to do it until his dying breath, which he did. Yeah. So love it. Uh, before we jump into Genesis, we want to take a quick moment to ask everyone to leave a five-star review on whatever platform. I'm told that Spotify starts allowing start allowing reviews. Yeah, so. and I don't know if there's something we have to set up on our side or if they're just allowing it now. I ha- I don't know yet. So yeah, so do us a favor if you uh, if you were able to leave a review on Spotify, just send us a message so we know what you did. But apparently that's a thing that happens. Uh, but also Apple Podcasts is the other kind of the big one. So if you want to leave a review there, that's great. Um, we didn't get any new reviews this week, but I did want to say uh, sincerely. Thank you for all of you who have reached out. This last week was kind of interesting where we had a few listeners from reach out in different avenues. Someone was on Facebook, someone was on the website, and someone left a review. Um, but they were really all very touching words of encouragement for me and Aaron. And so I I wanted to say, like, without being sappy or without anything else, um, is it was really meaningful for us to hear from you how yeah, the absolutely. podcast has helped you and how we've been able to um just encourage people to to read the Bible and encourage people to read with us. So yeah, I it, think the last week has probably been one of the most fun moments of the podcast because we get to we oh, just yeah. hear from you guys, and so uh, we just yeah, it's it's. I, I think I screenshotted one that Evan I think that we we shared last week or whatever. And I'm just like man, like that. That's it's almost as if I'm having coffee with someone. This this would be the same dialogue type tone, everything when I'm talking about. Scripture, and that's why I think Evan and I have a fun time doing it. So yeah. uh, the simple fact that you're able to be with it on us, and it's encouraging and challenging, and helping reinvigorate or rekindle some fire and passion for God's word is a big deal. So we appreciate that. So if you were one of those listeners who reached out, sincerely, thank you. Yes, and just so you know, I'm looking at Spotify right now. There is a way for you to to leave a rating. Ooh, I can't lead it because I haven't listened to any of the episodes on my Spotify account. But <laughs> but it if, you, if you have, you're able to do it. So. Uh, we'll have to look into more to be able to see and re- read some of those reviews, but that's a really cool thing. So now you can do it on Spotify as well. So please do it. All right, there we go. Well, Aaron, take it away with Genesis. Book, book of Genesis. We are not wrapping up the book of Genesis right now. We are still in the book of Genesis. Um, and there's just a lot in in the history of God's people and God's work and not just from the very fast paced first week where we see creation unfold and then we start seeing humanity unfold. But then we really, I mean, and Evan started talking about this last week where we really jumped into Abram to Abraham and the father of many nations and God's chosen person to be the father of, of, of his people. And, and we just, so we just continue to see this story unfold. I think Evan talked about last week, um, Isaac uh, being, you know, quote unquote, being sacrificed where God called Abram to sacrifice his son, his one only son, whom he dearly loves. And then we uh, saw the the death of Sarah, which is Abram's wife. Um, and then we we pick up this week as the story continues. Um, and I really do enjoy these the, the book of Genesis because of the narrative, the story of getting to know and seeing different realities. And so uh, I've just got kind of a shotgun to outline uh, just to kind of work through it, and I'll add some thoughts and comments and things here. Um, the section this week is going to end on kind of a bummer of a note um, where there's this defiling, which I appreciate how the ESV says it, because if you have a little one listening, you're not, I won't, it's not going to be a little bit confusing or weird, or they're not going to ask, well, what does that word mean? Um, but the defiling of Dina, who's Leah's daughter. And so it kind of ends in this weird moment, sad moment, um, but also frustrating moment, I think, for, for Jacob as well. Um, but uh, we'll get there in a minute, but you just see uh, the story continues where the Isaac, who is obviously Abraham's son, gets a wife, and this is where Abraham's servant, uh, Abraham tells the servant, "Hey, as long as I live, as long as I, I matter, like please do not let my son marry someone who's not of his own people." Uh, and so Abraham's servant runs to um, his family, uh, the family relatives, to go find a wife for uh, Isaac. He brings the cattle, and he's sitting there. Um, and and I have a you know kind of a, a God I need a, need a wife for my master's son <laughs> and uh, just kind of a significant moment of God just providing God answering and I think it's easy to uh, take for granted the simplicity with the requests but also the the simplicity of God's answering. Well, and that's actually how me and my wife met is we sent a servant and she she watered his camels. And it's the then... weirdest thing you've ever said. And you've said some <laughs> weird things. You met in my youth ministry, bro. Okay, don't That's forget true. that. That was a joke. You are ever, forever indebted. To, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so Isaac Isaac uh, ends up getting uh, a wife named Rebecca. And again, there's some cultural things that we're going to see that uh, are unfortunate. And it's a reminder that we that the, the biblical people are imperfect, that they're not 
perfect. They don't follow and adhere to everything God has a set in, in stone and set in motion uh, because they're fallen, broken people. And so um, all that to say, Isaac finds gets married to Rebecca, uh, and they start living their life. And in that time, Abraham finally you know dies as well. And then you see these lists of descendants, and you hear multiple wives. This is where, again, you see an imperfect, the cultural influence of the time and an imperfect person, God still uses, which I think is significant too. Like God is taking tribal people of the Near East and he's shaping them into being his people. But yeah. yes. the, 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 mor- the morality of, like if we went, I think if we went back in time and we're some, I don't know, if we were able to like learn the language really fast and be able just to go and we met Abraham, we would be shocked at how not Jewish he is. Yeah, right. And I think... And again, those are things that are lost in translation. We just don't get to experience that. Um, and so we just see, well, Abraham has multiple wives. David has multiple wives. Why? This isn't, you got, the Bible doesn't say you should have multiple wives, but the Bible affirms it. And so it's just really challenging to, to sometimes understand culture and the relevant reality of the time. Um, again, they're imperfect people, and, and God is taking people out of a certain culture to renew and redeem them. Uh, and so at death, Abraham passes away. They bury him. Isaac and Rebecca end up having twins uh, named Esau and Jacob. Uh, they're twin sons born. Um, and, and I'm going to read this passage because they're, they're actually constantly at war with each other. Jacob uh, comes out second, holding on to the heel of Esau. Um, but we see this in, in Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 to 27. Uh, and this is just the, the start of Esau and Jacob. So these are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took his, as his wife, Rebecca, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. There's, a, there's kind of an ongoing trend here. Yeah, that's you true. You see it throughout the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But um, Not Leah, though. Good for her. Not Leah. Well, there's a reason for that, and I'll read that yeah, later. That's true. Um, but it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because he was childless. She was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. But the children inside of her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? She went off to inquire of the Lord. Now, we've got some people that we know that are good friends of ours that are pregnant. And there's a point where pregnancy, not that I know from experience, but I know because my wife has been pregnant, uh, it just gets uncomfortable. So having two two ch- brothers be at war inside of uh, of of uh, Rebecca was not a was not a pleasant thing. Uh, so she's crying out, why is this happening to me? And the Lord said to her, Turn two nations, and this is significant, two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will become stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. This is, this is unheard of. The older never serves the younger. The older always assumes authority, always assumes the patriarch responsibilities after the, the father passes away. And so for, to, for this prophetic word, which is what it is, God speaking to her, the older will serve the younger is, is just mind blowing. It's not, it's not, it doesn't happen. Uh, and says, it continues on, it says in verse 24, when her time came to give birth, they were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out and just a quick side note, they also didn't know that they had twins in this moment. They didn't have the technology that we have to where we know whether it's one or two kids. She just had two kids warring inside of her. She had no idea. She just knew she was a pain, discomfort, all the problems. It says, then when it was time to give birth, so the prophetic word from the Lord was confirmed in birth because they were indeed twins in a room. The first one came out red looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau, which is just hilarious and awesome the way he was described. And this, after this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter and outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. And so this is the beginning of, of two brothers going toe-to-toe. Now, here's the deal. If you have brothers or you've been in a family with two brothers, you know full well brothers go toe-to-toe. They, they, I have one son, but I had a little brother, and him and I would wrestle. We would go to toe-to-toe all the time. So first off, boys do that, right? Uh, but we see it to a much higher degree in this dynamic. You see manipulation and deceit. You see in the next passage, you see Esau, their grown men, is out hunting. Jacob is staying home. Esau is famished. And, and it's one of actually probably for me, one of the more, the sadder stories in scripture. Um, as I reflect, like it's, it's just a bummer that Esau was so famished, so hungry and Jacob's making soup. Um, it's almost as if you've ever fasted before and you come into a place where they're just making such good food <laughs> and you're hungry and you're starving. And all you can think about is that food. Um, Esau in that moment sells his birthright. Now the birthright was that number two child 
as the no sorry as the firstborn son you had rights and privileges the father with your inheritance would be a little greater you would have more authority um, you would take over the patriarch duties when your father passed away that's what the birthright was you gained more favor um, and so he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup when <laughs> I was down visiting my family uh, for Christmas in California and my younger brother Brett offered me um, he he said he would take my birthright, but instead of soup, he offered me biscuits and gravy when I was down there. But <laughs> that's awesome. I, uh, good job, Brett. It was just got, kidding. Bad and, job. And they were delicious. Let me tell you. And good. you sold your birthright. I mean, you know, figuratively, I suppose. But I think I think my parents are planning on an equal division, so there's not really a birthright in, in our family, at least. Culture culture changes. What are you gonna do? Uh, but it's a big deal. So Esau sells his birthright, uh, which is a, for me a very sad moment in in uh, scripture in general. Um, as then you see Isaac takes his family, they're moving and they're going into the, the Philistine territory. Uh, and Isaac deceives Abimelech, which is the king of the Philistines in a similar way that Abraham deceived Sarah or not deceived Sarah, but deceived the Egyptian Pharaoh. I think it was Pharaoh. We talked about it last week. Yeah. Um, where he just said, Hey, Rebecca's really good looking. Um, and the king of the Philistines, Abimelech will see her that she's good looking and he'll want her. And so he'll kill me. And out of fear for his life and probably not the best uh, action tells uh, his wife, Rebecca, to say, hey, you're my sister. So so long story short, King of the Philistines finds out, they say that Rebecca is the wife or the sister, and Abimelech then takes her to his palace, and Abimelech has a dream. God shows him and says, don't you dare do anything with her. And he comes back to Isaac, much like the Pharaoh came back to yeah. Abram and said, why would you lie to me? Why would you do such a thing? Uh, and it's interesting how in Genesis, we do see this theme of sons committing the sins of their fathers yes. because you have this, yeah, Abraham does this and so does Isaac. And then we'll, I mean, spoilers, but um, what? No, Isaac kidding. is going to play favorites with his sons and yep. it's not, it's not going to turn out well. And so will Jacob. So it's, yep. it's one of those things where we just, we see so much about the, the, I, I guess it, this isn't what the passage is about necessarily, but like just the importance of fatherhood about yeah. how setting that example and how um, when their fathers do right things, we oftentimes see that their sons do the same right things. Yeah. But when they sin and they fall short, we see a, a lot of times their sons fall short in the same yeah. way as well. Well, and there's also a reality of generational curses too. I mean, there's that that piece of it as well where it's it's just passes on from one generation to another until someone decides to break the cycle. Yeah. Um, and and so you just see this the same deception, the same way of living that Abram did with Sarah, and now Isaac did with Rebecca. Um, then you have this moment where uh, Isaac is on his, is kind of at the end of his life. He's, you know, wanting to, to bless and in essence, give to Esau his birthright, but which is that blessing, that favor that, that, uh, and God honors the, the blessing is spoken over, um, Isaac or, or Jacob and Esau. Um, and so we see this moment, I'm going to read this passage because it's, it's, it's somewhat of a familiar passage for some of us. Uh, but it is, it's pretty, it's pretty challenging to think that Isaac was deceived by Jacob and his mom, Rebecca. Um, one of the side notes is that it says, and I think I read this, but maybe not, but Esau loved, uh, or sorry, um, Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. And so you see this moment where Rebecca and Jacob team up together to deceive Isaac, to get the blessing um, that would have, that it was Esau's because of his, because he was the older brother. Um, and so we see this in Genesis chapter 27, just going to read about 10 verses here. It says this, as, this, as soon as Isaac had finished, uh, oh, sorry, uh, I'm skipping. I'm skipping some things I want to say first. <laughs> oh my um, goodness! I know. I'm sorry. Um, so Jacob receives this blessing, but then Esau receives leftovers. That's what I want to say. Like Jacob receives this full blessing because Isaac is deceived because Jacob, uh, I think it's kills an animal, wraps the fur around his arm, so it feels like he's really hairy. Uh, his mom makes uh, Isaac's favorite soup and says that. Jacob made it. Um, even even Isaac says, you sound like my son Jacob, but you feel like my son Esau. Um, eats the soup. It tastes good. And then he he gives Isaac a blessing. And as soon as this happens, Esau comes running in. Um, and this is where it picks up. Sorry. It says, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from his hunting. Because Esau, just a reminder, just a, a quick highlight. Isaac had told Esau to go prepare a meal so then he can eat and give the blessing. Uh, so Esau ran out to do that. He arrived from his hunting. He also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. He said to his father, let my father get up and eat some of his son's game so that you may bless me. But his father, Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Who was it then? He said, who hunted game and brought it to me? 
I ate it all before you came in and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too for my father. But he replied, Your brother has dis- came deceitfully and took your blessing. So he said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright and look, now he has taken my blessing. And then he asked, Haven't you saved me or saved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered Esau, Look, I have made him a master over you, have given him all of his relatives, given all of his relatives as his servants, and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What thing can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac looked at him, Look at look at your dwelling place. Look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword. You will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. And that's the ble- that's the blessing Esau received. Mm, good times. Um, and but it is. It's for me. It's this picture of Esau as the as the firstborn. Um, he doesn't seem to be the brightest tool in the shed, but at the same time, Jacob was very de- deceptive. The name Jacob means deceiver. Uh, we we have a good friend named Jacob um, that we'll joke around with all the time, calling him deceiver. Anytime he is a little bit underhanded in fantasy football, we just <laughs> remind him what his name football. means. Um, uh, one of our other friends who's a common friend calls him, I guess actually a brother-in-law, uh, calls him a snake because it fits hand in hand. So anyways, that's a whole side note. So anyways, all that to say, Jacob then is encouraged and told by Rebecca to flee to Laban, which is her dad. Uh, he flees. There's a dream that Jacob has where the staircase of heaven is open. They call it Bethel uh, because the Lord was in the midst uh, to worship Bethel, or worship J- God. Jacob then uh, wants to find a wife. He's by himself. He has the, the, the birthright. He has the blessing and he's looking for a wife. And so he finds a, a relative wife that he would love to marry. And it's Rachel, which is the second born daughter of Laban. And he makes a deal with Laban that he'll work for seven years as a, as a payment to receive his daughter, daughter's hand in marriage. Seven years goes by. He gets to marry on the wedding day. Uh, wedding night happens. He wakes up the next morning and realizes it was not Rachel. It was actually her not so good looking sister, older sister, Leah. Classic prank. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so Laban uh, and Laban's excuse was, it's not good for me to marry off Rachel if I haven't married off Leah. He's like, but look, you can serve seven more years and then marry Rachel as well. Again, cultural issues. Um, so then Jacob does that because he, it's love at first sight moment is what it is. Like Jacob sees Rachel and is like, I love her. Um, so he works seven more years gets married to Rachel, and he he loved Rachel the most. Um, and so Jacob's children, he uh, then has children with both of them. Rachel's a lot later. Um, and this is, the, this is what I was referring to earlier when you mentioned Leah. Um, and the Lord saw how, how, how much Leah was hated. And it says this in Genesis. It says that he, the Lord saw how Leah was hated, and he opened up her womb and left Rachel barren. Um, in other words, it was this, almost this judgment on Jacob for, for only for, for preferring Rachel over Leah. Uh, and it's kind of a significant blow. Um, and there's this discord and this tension that exists between Rachel and Leah. And he loves Rachel more, but I'm giving him more kids. And then you see the 12 sons of Isaac or Jacob, sorry, you see the 12 sons of Jacob come out mm-hmm. um, of this, of this tension as well as their servants, because it's the same thing that you see with Abraham and Sarah here, have my, my servant to give you tra- children since I can. Rachel does the same thing. Um, long I, story short, I will say because we can't get in. I mean, we're already going way over yeah, our time this my, week. It's your fault. I, I hey, we we both talked long this week. Um, but I would highly recommend. Um, we have podcast episode one eleven where we did a full episode on Leah. Yes. Um, and actually, we had multiple people reach out about how much they enjoyed that episode. So if you want to hear a little bit more about one of the more under talked about Bible yeah, characters. The lesser appreciated. Yeah. Episode 111 of Let's Read the Bible. We do an episode on Leah. Yeah. So they get married. They kind of live happily ever after. Not really. Um, Jacob becomes prosperous. He deceives his father-in-law Laban, gets more wealth from his father-in-law Laban. He runs away. Then he comes to this encounter where he's going to he's gonna meet Jake or Esau. And he's afraid of the the, the re- repercussions of his the way he treated Esau to begin with, about stealing his birthright, about stealing the blessing. Uh, and he stops at one point, separates his camp. And this is a pretty significant passage where J- Jacob wrestles with God in the night. His hip is touched. He walks differently. Um, but it's just this ongoing journey of God working his redemptive plan in the midst of 
dysfunction, in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of brokenness, and in the midst of cultural issues of just learning and growing and trying to understand how the gospel is interjecting all of these things. Um, and then we get to the end of the section this week. We're going to we're gonna hit this passage. Um, Jacob and Esau, they reconcile. Everything's okay. Um, and then it comes into kind of a side note. It's kind of sidesteps for a, a passage. And it talks about th- this idea of the defiling of Dina, which is Leah's daughter. Um, and I'm going to read the passage. I, I broke it down a little bit. It's not going to be very long. And then read a quote from the ESV study Bible, which I think is pretty, pretty profound to read and understand as well. Uh, but it says this, this is in chapter 34. It says, but Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dina. In other words, Shechem, uh, is someone who really saw Dina as like, man, he, he lusted after her. He wanted her. He, and so he ended up, um, forcing her to, uh, be, to do what he wants. Um, I'm trying to say it politely just in case, uh, there's kids listening. Um, but he does something that he forces her to do. Um, and he still desires to have Dina as his wife. Hamar comes in and says, Hey, my son wants your daughter. What can we do? Um, and, and then the, this is the response from Jacob's sons. Uh, now, mind you, Jacob is not in the conversation for some reason. I don't know why, um, but he's not around when this is happening. And says this, as Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamar deceitfully because he defiled their sister Dina. We cannot do this thing, they said. In other words, giving our sister to an uncircumcised man is a disgrace to us. We will agree with you only on this condition. If all your males are circumcised as we are, then we will, all, then we will give you all of our, or give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves and live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Um, and it's just this, like they want to marry. What do we need to do? How do we need to make this right? So this is what they tell them. Get circumcised, all your men. They do this. And then we pick up in chapter 20 or chapter 34, verse 25. It says, on the third day, when they were still in pain, Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, took their swords, went into the unsuspecting city, and killed every male. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with their swords, took Dina from Shechem's house, and went away. Jacob's sons came to the slaughter and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their flocks, herds, donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. They captured all their possessions, dependents, and wives, and plundered everyone in the house." everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, when all of a sudden he, this is where Jacob comes in all of a sudden out of nowhere. It's like, what did you do? Um, and, and it shows a little bit of a disconnect of her awareness of what's happening with his sons and their, and their, and their kids and, and their family and says, you have brought trouble on me. This is Jacob in essence, mad at Simeon and Levi. You've brought trouble on me, making odious. It's uh, a weird word to the inhabitants of the land. In other words, to stink. And I think the ESV says to stink um, to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are a few in number, and if they unite against me and attack me, I will. And I and my household will be destroyed. It's interesting because the ESV quote that I want to read, and then I'll, I'm kind of wrapping this up at the end of here, but it says this, almost as soon as Jacob's sons return to Canaan, or as soon as Jacob returns to Canaan, an incident threatens the future security of his whole family. While the the defilement of Dina by Shechem is inexcusable, the punishment meted out by Simeon and Levi far exceeds this crime. While they are reluctant to acknowledge any fault on their part, Jacob is very conscious of how their actions have endangered his entire household. Furthermore, circumcision was intended, and this is the part that I think is so um, um, good to hear and listen and, and reflect in the midst of this. Furthermore, circumcision was intended by God to bring divine blessing and leads on this occasion to death and destruction. And all of this takes place without any reference to God. And it's it's not to sidestep the the, com, the conflict at that time, but it is. It, it ends on a sour note because you see this drifting and this 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 cultural war of trying to, God, how do I live out your plan and purpose? And you see this with Jacob. You see this with uh, Isaac. And you see this even with Abraham is trying to figure out how to live and follow everything God has put in place. Um, and then there's this moment where even his sons, it's passed on to his sons, it goes back to that fatherhood comment, um, that they they make a decision without God in it. And it just reminds me of Saul yeah. when we did this, the, the the study on Saul last year, uh, where he just, he made a decision without the counsel of God. Um, and it just ends and it's a really bummer note. Like there's no redemptive, I say this very carefully, it almost feels like there's no redemptive moment here, that it's just a heartbreaking reality. And Jacob's fear is now I'm going to stink in the, in the presence of the inhabitants of the land, and they're going to team up and come against me, and I'm, 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 I'm done. Well, it reminds me of the story in Judges 19, which is equally, um, it's just, it's bleak. Disturbing? Yeah, it's disturbing. There's nothing great about it. 
Um, and I remember because I was talking with someone about how they're like, what do we even do with this? Like this passage of the Bible. And, it's, and I was saying, you know, we have to recognize that there's parts of the Bible where they're just describing what happened. It's not saying it's good. It's, it's, yeah. it's saying, and, and the absence of God is kind of like on full display, like the, like the ESV says there. Um, it's describing just wicked, sinful things that are happening. And I think it's also showing how, like, like I kind of said before, how these are not perfect people. It's not like God appears to Abraham and all of a sudden they start following his law perfectly. Like, no, there's a lot of cultural changes and moral changes that need to happen. And we see it happen over time, but these are struggles that the people of Israel have pretty much for the whole history. Yeah. So, and I, and I say this, I, I think to kind of put a bow on it, so to speak, um, where it seems like there's no redemptive and there's no redemptive piece to this whole story. This is not the end for Jacob. Like, this is not the end for God's people. This is not the end for the legacy and the lineage. We talked about this at the Abraham episode. It was his, his faith was credited to him as a righteousness. And, and even in the midst of these, these hard things and these downer things and these tragic realities, God is still good and at work in redeeming his people. And I think that, for me, is the hope that we can cling to, is that even in the worst of situations, even in our worst or our most disconnected moments where we don't always consult and ask God for wisdom, his patience and grace still triumphs because his will still prevails. And so I think that that's the one redemptive piece in midst of all of this, that God is is, is using imperfect people to elevate his truth, his hope, his gospel, and bringing it to a point through much through the very beginning of, of his election of God of people. And so mm-hmm. um, that the, the the hope that he still uses and still works is a big deal. So that ends the that'll end the the week. So the stuff on Genesis. Yeah. The final thing we want to remind about before we take off today is we are reading some Psalms as well. And so we're not going to actually go through them and study them today. Uh, but I would say what they're called is they're called Psalms of Ascent. And essentially the idea is that as people would make pilgrim- pilgrimages to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a city on a hill. And so you would kind of see it be revealed in the horizon. And the idea was that you would read these things, that you would sing these songs as you're walking towards Jerusalem. And so I would just encourage all of us today as we're reading through, um, these are pretty famous ones. Like the opening verse of 121 is, I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's things like that. Just think about, put yourself into that position of being someone who is traveling to Jerusalem and praising God for who he is and what he had done. Um, Well, anyways, with that, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, As a reminder, we're a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church. And then if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to consider financially contributing to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on the website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. But with that being said, we'll uh, see you all next week. Have a great day.